welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kevin Gentry. Patrick Kuchkowski. I'm Bergen DeVell. I'm Jake Worland. And today we have a wonderful guest <laughs> joining us um, from SendGrid. His name is James Heimbuck. Give it up for Welcome James. Welcome, James. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so I know the last couple of podcasts we've been on the discussions for a what is the difference between a technical versus a consumer-facing product manager. Uh, and since we have James in the studio, we figured we'd kind of do a small part of part three almost and kind of discuss a little bit of his background and his thoughts on technical versus consumer-facing roles. So first, James, if you want to just give us a little background, um, that'd be great. So I'm uh, James Heimbach, excuse me. Uh, I'm a product manager for infrastructure at Twilio SendGrid, um, just upstairs. And uh, at SendGrid, I product manage for our tech ops teams, is what we call them at SendGrid. Um, So that includes things like data center operations, our database admins, network uh, through our CICD pipeline, test automation, monitoring. Um, Those are all the things that kind of make up operations uh, and the tool chain that kind of contributes to the DevOps philosophy. Um, And so that's my current role at SendGrid. Uh, I got into product because you always have to talk about the product. How did you get into product, right? Um, Actually, I got a computer science degree, decided I never actually wanted to be a coder, uh, got a graduate degree in business or e-business um, at the same school, stuck around, and originally got into QA for a little while. Uh, ended up at a cybersecurity company, um, antivirus, anti-spyware up in Boulder, not too long after that, um, and was there on the threat research team. So was working with threat research, um, managing this team of definition developers uh, for the product for a couple of years. We ended up rolling our own definition development um, or definition management product. And when we built that software, we hired developers and actually ran it like a scrum team and had a product manager and a scrum master come in and help along that way. And I was kind of the subject matter expert because it was my team who was using it. So I kind of rolled up all that feedback from the team. But in seeing what the product manager did, I realized that's what I actually wanted to go do. Um, And so from there, I found roles in product management, a little bit of project management, product owner here and there. Um, throughout the years and always had more of a technical bent to it. That's always where I was a little bit more comfortable anyway. Um, And when I found this role at SendGrid, it's like it was custom written for me and it was a great fit, uh, both my skill set and then the company culture. So it worked out really well. How long have you been in product? I've been in product going on uh, 14 years now. 14 years. Can you tell us a little bit about SendGrid? Like what is it? How does it work with Twilio? And sure. What, what's the product? Uh, Twilio SendGrid is a communication company. Um, the SendGrid business unit is really where I'm most familiar. Um, we're an email service provider. And so we uh, help transact those emails for customers um, like Uber or eBay uh, so that they don't have to actually manage a mail server themselves and maintain relationships with the inbox providers like Gmail or Yahoo. Um, so we help them get that email delivered and make sure that non-spam gets into the inbox and then fight the good fight to make sure that spammers aren't getting onto our platform and blasting out a bunch of spam into your inbox. So for a lot of our listeners, they may not be as technical as some of the people in this room. Uh, just in your own words, and maybe distilling to the audience, 
Um, I've called it DevOps in the past. Um, we also called it tools here. Uh, what is tech operations and your kind of your own words, if you're sure. going to still it? So there's a, a philosophy um, around, it used to be that there was a, an engineering side or development side of the house and then an operations side of the house. Developers wrote software, tested software maybe a little bit, and then handed it off to operations to actually deploy it and run it in production and monitor it. And when things went wrong, operations was in charge of trying to fix it. Developers just kept moving on to the next feature. Um, DevOps is kind of marrying those two, breaking down those walls. So delivery teams, especially in that agile model of Scrum um, or squads, they're going to run their own software in production. So they're the team that's on call for it. So they do everything software and with their service. They're building it, they're deploying it, they're testing it, they're monitoring it, they're getting all the alerts. They're the ones who are getting paged. Um, there's even models where product managers are part of the squad and are getting paged when a service goes down. Mm -hmm. And so you might be secondary on call, uh, but be getting a page if your service is, is going down and customers aren't getting the, the experience that they would or expect. And so the tool chain that makes that up, all of the, the ways that we build software, monitor software, uh, those are the things that my team provides um, in helping those delivery teams really run their own software um, from the ground up. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. What does a product manager being on call look like for you? Uh, I am not the product manager on call, okay. fortunately. I have seen that model, yeah. but I have not experienced okay. that model yet. I was going to say, I'd just be like, help me <laughs> send on to engineering. Okay. Well, a lot of that goes to, like, a lot of the philosophy there goes back to DevOps of you need to have runbooks that anybody on your team can understand. Gotcha. So when you get a page, either it's automatically taken care of, um, a lot of the DevOps philosophy is about automating away the things that are very checklisty, so that those things try to heal themselves and the service maintains some sort of reasonable um, level of operability until someone has actually woken up and looked at it yeah. and realized, hey, we're running in a degraded state, not where we'd ideally be, but customers are still getting their requests served. Maybe it's not as fast as they'd like, or maybe not all of the functionality is there, but it's kind of met that MVP line almost. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And then since we have kind of the, the topic of the day being, you know, the differences between technical product manager and consumer facing product manager, and like, what is your thoughts on, on that as a TPM? I, I, I look at it as all product managers do the same, like you have the same core job, you have customers. In my case, my customers are internal, they're delivery teams, they're trying to do their job, which is to ship features to our customers, SendGrid's ultimate customers, right? Um, and so our products are things that help them do that. And so we always talk about what is the outcome that they're trying to get to? Why are they trying to do that? Now, the, the actual thing that we're doing might be a little bit more technical. It's not, say, an iPhone app. In some cases, it is an iPhone app. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still a customer who is trying to do a thing. And if we don't provide them a tool that does it well, they're gonna find the same kind of workarounds that your consumer customers might, or they're gonna deal with the same pains that your consumer customer might. So really it's just distilling down. And that's where there's a lot of value in having a product manager sit with those technical teams, because sometimes they can get uh, enamored with the shiny and focused on the tool that they're trying to deliver and forget about the outcomes. And sometimes as product managers, we do the same thing. We get enamored with a feature and forget what we're trying to deliver to the customer. So it's useful for both sides to have that conversation about ultimately, what does our customer want here? And what's the outcome that we're trying to deliver to them? And are, can we do it in a reasonable amount of time? 
Uh, we talk a lot about ROI uh, because some of the tooling is bought versus built, but there is a lot of cost consideration in built because you build a thing, now you're the one monitoring mm -hmm. it, potentially you're hosting it. You have to up, do the upkeep, and if there's patches or security incidents, you have to bring all of that to the table. You're not relying on a vendor to do it. So while often it looks like it's cheaper to build your own, at the end of the day, that's not always the case. I think that leads me into a, a natural question for, for the group, because I think all five of us here have been in a technical-facing role in one manner or another, and it really is, you know, as PMs, how do we take something that is highly technical and really distill it down into something that our sales teams and our operations teams can get excited about and want to get behind? Yeah, I think for me, it's knowing and understanding how they think about the business, whoever you're talking to. So sales is going to think about Ibotta in this case in one particular way or SendGrid in a different way. Uh, marketing will think about it in a different way. And they, they all have different priorities and different viewpoints on that business, on the business and on the topic at hand. So if you really know kind of their view of the world and you can speak the language that makes sense to them in that world. Right, so thinking a little bit more of like, okay, to take James's point of focusing on outcomes, how do I take those outcomes and frame them in a way that this particular group will understand? I know we've talked about metaphors, and I'd love to hear if anyone else has like good metaphors um, on how to frame those things. But it's it's how do you how, basically how do you translate it? Yeah. Right. What are what are the tools in your toolbox that you use to translate those core outcomes? Yeah, James, do you have any experience with that? Uh, so we talk a lot about. Like we talk about outcomes versus outputs, yeah. and we talk about the user story. Mm -hmm. um, an example that I've used is that if you ask a delivery team, how's the build system, they're always going to say it's too slow. Mm -hmm. They're not going to give you a user story that sounds like, as a developer, I want the build system right. to be faster, so that I, that, that's not going to be their story. It's as a something something developer, like a, a Go developer, I want the build system to give me builds in a couple of minutes so that I can keep or iterating on features quickly. That ultimately is that outcome that they want. Um, and it's because they don't want to sit around and wait. Like, and understanding kind of that core human emotion to it um, is, is what you want to get at. It's like developers get bored really quick, potentially, if they're waiting on a build. Or they get into habits, and this is human nature, everybody gets into habits of, if builds always take half an hour, I just kind of mentally set that clock. So even when they're faster, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to come back and check it until it's been half an hour. And so for a developer, like that efficiency loss is huge. Mm -hmm. um, so we talk about it kind of in that way of breaking things down to kind of that core human emotion. Um, what do you, ultimately are you trying to get, get done and why? Uh, not just the outcome or the output that you want. So how do you um, explain that outcome to the rest of the business that might not be as technical? We talk a lot about the features that we can deliver. When I'm talking to other product managers about why you should prioritize, say, switching over to a different build system, talk about, hey, here's here's some numbers for you. We've actually like instrumented the thing. Mm -hmm. You're getting this many builds out of your team, and they're taking this long. So you basically have developers waiting for builds like this long, or they're batching them all up. So you're only seeing new software once a day, potentially looking at what we could do with this new build system, it's five minutes to build versus an hour. You can start to test and iterate on the things that you want to see product manager a couple of times a day. Mm -hmm. like, that's huge for you because you can ship features so much faster. And then we talk about the ultimate persona. Uh, we use personas quite a bit at SendGrid, talking about um, Olivia is one of our 
personas uh, marketing professional mm -hmm. and like what is this going to do for Olivia mm -hmm. how much faster can we iterate on features for her and deliver features to her yeah I think um, our the platform team that I work with here while we might in a, in a team setting talk about response time in milliseconds mm -hmm. taking that millisecond and applying that to how it actually impacts our end user within our business operations team who's actually setting up the audiences that we're enabling on the platform side. So while in our internal discussions, we might get really deep in the details of what response times need to look like on our side, explaining that to BizOps that this cuts down on your workload and you'll be able to do 3x or 4x what you were today with this new feature. So I do think a lot of times I've struggled with um, trying to articulate that up and mm -hmm. out within the business um, and making sure that um, a, a back-end platform team can continue to be heads down and focused on that because when you're working on internal tools, it's very easy to um, reprioritize work for other external focused features. Um, so I think the more we can tie back the value for our internal teams that ultimately do impact our end savers is a really important um, thing that I've been trying to work mm -hmm. on. So here's a question. How do you know, how do you validate that you're solving the right problem for an internal customer? Mm -hmm. I mean, largely it's going to come back to leading indicators. And so this one has been one that I know my squad here has been struggling with, um, is we had a lot of trailing indicators on if this feature actually delivered the value, but we weren't actually looking at the initial metrics in order to see was the first few iterations of this driving the Im immediate value, knowing that there's going to be a longer tail. And so for us, it's really like, what leading indicators can you put in place to begin to identify right away is something going to be successful or not? And then you can start to really understand, okay, the, the trailing indicators are going to come into play, but maybe it'll be another three months. So we can start to sell either a success or a failure story potentially very early, and then we can start pivoting or adjusting our next release as needed. I'm going to pivot this discussion just a little bit. Um, because we have James here, I want to get a better understanding of life outside of Ibotta for product. Um, what, how is your product structure kind of built? Um, since you are a technical product manager, are there kind of like a group of technical product managers and, and non-technical? Like, is there concept of horizontal and vertical squads? Like, do you have squads? Is What's that kind of structure look like for you? Uh, the engineering org is... Uh, all built around sprint teams or scrum teams. Mm -hmm. um, most product managers have one or two teams that they work with um, very deep. Um, so they kind of go full stack, I would say. Uh, it's a term I've adopted or stolen um, <laughs> about full stack product management. So it's everything from talking to customers and thinking about strategy and vision all the way down to like writing stories and accepting stories within the sprint. And so most of our product managers are doing that. Um, at SendGrid, we try to spend a lot of time talking to customers and validating that this is a real problem we're going to go solve. Um, there's some great blog posts um, on our blog about the SendGrid way and the way that we kind of step through that. And it can feel really slow, but it's a great way to validate early and cheaply through just conversation that you're really building the right thing for a customer. Um, so that's generally the layout um, of the product org. I have a few more teams than that being spread across tech ops, and so really rely heavily on my peers in engineering to take on a lot of that um, lower stack role of writing stories, accepting stories, and I have great partners in engineering mm -hmm. um, that I can trust that 
they're keeping their eye on the ball and we're moving in the right direction. So I can spend a lot of time talking to those internal customers about where are the pain points today? Are we still moving in the right direction to support the overall business goals of SendGrid? And within a, a team or scrum team for you, what does that makeup look like? Is it like five developers? Is it an engineering manager? Like what, what kind of roles exist in that? I think every team has an engineering manager and the team sizes vary from, I think my smallest team right now is three up to about eight. Um, and then we're, we don't have embedded um, SDETs or QEs uh, within the tech ops teams. Most of the- I don't know what those are, can you explain? Sorry, <laughs> acronyms. <Yeah. laughs> software developer, uh, software development engineer in test and quality engineer. Got it. Okay. Um, so the Into way they, like a QA team or yeah. Uh, so software developer, engineer, and test are writing quite a bit of the test automation. Mm. Yep. Um, using those frameworks. Got it. And then quality engineers are spending more time doing that exploratory testing. Mm -hmm. um, we try to automate away as much of the regression testing as we can, so that it's always running on every build. Mm -hmm. um, and then those QEs are doing some of the more deep dive, validating functionality. Um, new functionality that's coming out and then helping write those tests for the next wave of automation. Um, so within the delivery teams that are building a like, customer-facing product, they have some of those folks embedded there as well. Mm -hmm. um, most product managers then also have a PMM peer, product marketing manager, mm -hmm. uh, who's helping them with the go-to-market effort. Uh, we start that very early in the process as well, making sure that we're not only building the right thing, but we're introducing it to our uh, customer in the way that makes sense to them so that they can pick it up and run with it early and that there's not friction in the adoption because that's so much of the success of your product relies on how fast and how easily your customer can pick it up and use it. Totally. That makes sense. How does how SendGrid does work with product design? Uh, most of those teams, our product managers, also have a peer on our design, uh, design team. Yeah. Um, and design and research uh, kind of go together where uh, the product designer will start in what we call the solution validation phase in doing wireframes and talking about what does the solution really look like for our persona. Um, and then research is involved in finding candidates um, to interview uh, people or customers or even non-customers who look like the person we think has this problem so that we can better understand what does that problem look and feel like for them day to day. Uh, and try to do that in a way that isn't getting those, yeah, of course I have that problem, yeah, of course I pay for this kind of answers, which is so tough. Um, and just really understanding and empathizing with that customer, what they're feeling and how hard it can be with them or for them. I have a question around um, accepting stories for, or technical stories. Is that mostly done through the like the testing, that the automated testing process that you walked through? Or you mentioned in the beginning that um, PMs will QA or test and accept user stories for your backend teams, and I'm just curious what that looks like for product in terms of testing and accepting a story. I can tell you what we do in TechOps. Okay. Um, we make use of the demo. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we do is kind of roll all of the stories up or some of the stories up into sprint goals. And then at the end of the sprint, we'll do a demo and say, show me the that we've met the sprint goals, and that'll be acceptance of the sprint. Um, all of the teams at SendGrid also have established working agreements, definition of ready, definition of done. And then the teams hold themselves accountable to, did we meet the definition of done for all of our stories? Did we meet all of the acceptance criteria? And our um, Agile program managers or APMs uh, really stay on top of that and make sure they're asking those questions before stories are closed during standups. Okay. 
Um, what are some of the practices as a PM that you kind of put in place that you can share out? Um, either be it ceremonies or like research that you're doing, or is there anything that can, you know, other PMs in the space can learn from um, what you have learned? You know, again, I point back at those blog posts uh, yeah. around the SendGrid way. We made have you wrote any of those? I did not write those. <laughs> <laughs> those are already done before I got there. Um, we make use of those customer interviews, and for me, those are a huge opportunity to find new problems, understand what um, those delivery teams are going through today and how that's changed, especially with the shifting landscape and the tool set that's out there uh, in the DevOps space. There's so many different tools. I mean, just looking at Kubernetes as a container orchestration platform, um, from our delivery team perspective, we just want it to be compute as a service. They should just be able to drop their service into a container and it runs and they get all of the things like load balancing and service discovery and authentication and six or seven other things that are just core services built into the platform or that we've built into the platform. But underlying that are potentially 20 or 30 different bits of technology that we try to abstract away. We need to understand what all those things do and all the problems that they solve and try to really edit down just doing the things that we need to do so that we can deliver as fast as we can. So how do you instill that concept of continuous learning at SunGrid and with other PMs in the organization? Sure. Um, I feel like we're really lucky at SunGrid where our leadership has a strong emphasis on sharpening your saw. Um, I think that's seven habits. Uh, where we take time about once a quarter to get together as a broader product group and go through some sort of training. And it's not just we're going to get together and read a book and then never talk about it again and it gathers dust, uh, dust on everyone's desk. It's then over the course of that quarter until the next one, well, what are you doing to use this in your day-to-day? -day? And so we continue to have those discussions. Um, Can you give us an example of one of those? Sure. Uh, we read... Um, oh, no, I'm totally blanking on the name <laughs> of the book. Uh, Jobs to be done theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of the name of the book off the top of my head, though. Sure. Um, and so we talk about what is the job that Olivia, the persona, mm -hmm. is trying to do, um, and how do we go about solving for that job or helping Olivia do that job. Have you changed the story writing process to reflect jobs to be done? I think we've refined our story mapping process uh, to do that, to really understand the yeah. steps that Olivia goes through today to meet her marketing needs, and how can we help optimize and make more efficient or automate some of those steps. So it's not such a manual process to get that marketing campaign email out the door. Uh, it's just so much easier for Olivia. So much of it, more of it is automated potentially um, so that it's one less thing she has to worry about, about uploading lists or making sure the copy is great or whatever it might be um, so that she can focus on what's really her core competency uh, in marketing and not worry about you know that handcrafting HTML kind of thing. So you, you mentioned the story mapping process. What does that look like for you? And then what does that look like influenced by jobs to be done? Uh, so the story mapping usually happens in, I believe, solution validation phase where we start to talk about what are the steps to actually solving this problem. Um, from a technical perspective, we really try to scope it down to like a single tool. Because once you start spanning tools, it gets out of control really fast. You want to kind of stay within your area of influence, uh, I would say. And where you're adding value and when you stop adding value and hand off to another system, that's where your story map really ends. And your outcome should be focused on that deliverable. Uh, so 
I tend to get my entire team into a room and we do the story mapping together. Uh, we grab a whiteboard, markers, sticky notes, all the classics, nice. and map it out. And we have a user story in mind or an outcome that we're trying to drive to. And we go through the classic uh, story mapping process of get out all the steps that you could possibly do to do this. Now you categorize and group and you start to eliminate. And then the way that we do it is break it down into sprints. Like what can we deliver in two weeks? We, we do it time bound. Um, just to try to make sure that we're making continual progress against the thing. And if we find that we can't deliver, like if it's just too big of a lift in one sprint, then we might break it down to, well, what can we deliver in a pre-prod environment um, just through like a command line interface? There's no actual GUI for the thing. Can we get that far uh, with this API? Um, and then the next one will actually build the GUI out for it so that the rest of the dev teams can use it. So it's almost, I mean, it's a classic MVP scenario, it, right? It really is. Yeah. It's been really helpful in defining the MVP and also defining the nice-to-haves or maybe even things that we can go back and validate with teams. Like, we think teams might find this cool if they got this outcome. And so we can go back to them with a tool in hand that took maybe a month to develop versus six and say, hey, this solves the problem that you've described to us. Let us walk you through it and help you set up, set it up for your stack and they go through and they do it, and we say, great. Now we think that you also would have this problem like a week later with, with the tooling or still with the problem that you have and get either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And it's a pretty quick validation cycle to, for us to then go back and say, great, we need to build version two of this or version three. Uh, so we can do that pretty quick validation uh, based on what we think that delivery team would want. Out of curiosity, how do you handle kind of scoping and level of effort inside of a story? I know personally I've used story pointing and others and especially when you're going through story mapping exercise and you're trying to come up with, hey, this is going to fall into a two-week sprint, especially on the technical side, it's very easy to miss implementation details and now you're, you're scoping is way off. That's the hardest part of Agile is estimating, right? Um, each, I, I, we use story points and we use Fibonacci sequence, um, but you... What works for one team isn't going to necessarily work for another, I found, uh, it's, which sometimes I forget when I switch teams and talk to another team, and like fives are different between the teams, right? Some teams, uh, they, ju they just estimate differently. Um, what I found successful in the past, though, is having the team look back at all of their threes, for instance, over a sprint, and start to compare the level of effort of those things. And you start to figure out, this three was really an eight, because there was, there was hidden details here because it was a thing that we've never used before. Like the readme looked really good, but there was tons of details actually missing from that open source library that we had to go figure out on our own. Um, and so we file that away and the team starts to internalize those things. And the next time you run into, we're gonna use an open source library, we're gonna take five minutes longer to look at that readme and really understand is everything there? Do they have some really good code examples already in their repo that we can pull down and start to build off of? Or is it just their binary and that's it? Or just their source code that you compile and you go and run with it? Um, so they can start to then apply the right pointing to those things based on those circumstances. So um, we're, we're just about at the end of our time here. Um, if you were to give any word of advice to other PMs in the space in Colorado or any other TPMs, um, what would that be? Use what your customer is using. Um, get in there, get your hands dirty, build some software. If you're working on the DevOps side, that's 
that's really the secret sauce I feel like on product is and the best way to empathize with your customer is get in there and do what your customer is doing so you can better understand the pain points that they have um, especially on internal tools sit with those if you're working on a customer support tool sit down with customer support um, work a shift like get on the phones or get on the chats and try to help those customers you will you will feel that pain very quickly uh, and how bad it can be to do the things one at a time versus in bulk or whatever the use case might be. Um, that would that's, that's my best advice. Get out there and be your own customer, solve your own problems. That's great advice. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, James, for uh, um, joining us. And Thank you, guys. This was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. You have to come back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that wraps up this week's product coffee. Um, looks like we finished all of our coffee, so thanks for joining us. Now go level up. Mm-hmm.